0: Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles, and welcome back to my channel. Today's video is going to be yet another solved-ish. We took it all, we brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth, we made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs, we did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. ...case for my Curious Case series. The case discussed today has a lot of controversy over whether the person who was ultimately sentenced was actually the person responsible. We're going to be going through the case, the trials, the retrials, and the timelines to try and answer one question... Did they sentence the right person? Make sure you subscribe to this channel before we go any further and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new Curious Case episode. Before we delve into this case though, I'd just like to give a massive shout out to an emerging true crime channel slash podcast called Behind the Yellow Line. LJ covers a variety of cases on her YouTube channel and on her podcast, and I love listening to it while I go about my day-to-day chores, so I would love it if you guys were able to go give her channel a big true crime community hug from us. You can find a link to her channel and podcast in the description and in the pinned comments down below. As of this video going live, LJ should have posted just now a brand new video discussing YouTubers who have broken the law make sure you go check it out and with all that being said let's delve right into this case Wednesday the 30th of August in the year 2000 A day that would completely change the lives of the Lundy family in Palmerston North New Zealand For decades to come. Mark Edward Lundy, born in 1956 Had married his wife Christine Lundy in May of 1983 Though it wasn't until 1993 a decade later that they would have their first child together, a daughter the couple actually had immense difficulty with fertility, so their daughter was an absolute blessing to them. After the birth of their first child, Amber Grace Lundy, Christine dedicated herself to become the best mother she could be to her daughter. As soon as Amber was old enough, she was enrolled in the local girl guides, which Christine ended up playing a very active role in. Amber was described as an outgoing and bright child who was strong-willed, and natural leader, And according to her teachers was an absolute delight. There isn't much information about Amber, Christine, or Mark available online Presumably due to privacy reasons But what I can tell you is that Christine and Mark's marriage wasn't by any means perfect In the years leading up to the year 2000, Christine and Mark's relationship became more of a business based one Rather than a romantic one And this was due to the fact that Christine and Mark ran a kitchen hardware business And they ran that business from their home in Palmerston North They sold a wide range of kitchen hardware, such as sinks and taps, through their websites The internet was still in its infancy and the dot-com boom was allowing any budding entrepreneurs to create their own websites and fulfill orders through the postal system By the year 2000, Mark frequently had to spend the night at motels away from the family home due to sales trip and he carried kitchen hardware samples in the trunk of his car when he went on these trips to show to his clients. On the night of Tuesday the 29th of August in the year 2000, going into the 30th, Mark actually stayed in a motel in Petone, Wellington, which was some 150 kilometers away from the family home in Palmerston North and he he was on a sales trip. He had checked into the motel there at approximately 5pm. Just half an hour later at 5.30pm, his now seven-year-old daughter Amber decided to ring up her dad due to her Girl Scouts meeting being cancelled. Amber innocently asked her father for permission to go get some McDonald's Which was a rare treat for the young girl to which he agreed and said yes Mark then asked amber to pass the phone over to his wife Christine so that they could discuss business They spoke for around eight minutes or so before saying their goodbyes and hanging up the phone Unbeknownst to mark this would be the last time he would speak to either his wife or his seven-year-old daughter The following morning on Wednesday the 30th of August in the year 2000. Mark tried to ring his wife, Christine, to ask for the address of a client that owed them money so that he could go and chase it up. But his call went to voicemail, assuming her just to be a bit busy. He placed another phone call a short time later, but this too went to voicemail. He actually ended up placing several phone calls to Christine on both her mobile phone and the family house landline phone All of which went unanswered and to voicemail. With each phone call he grew more and more irritable believing that Christine was Ignoring him for some reason. He he couldn't figure out a reason as to why she wasn't picking up the phone. As he was 150 kilometers away He also couldn't just pop over to see her in person. However, at around 9:20 a.m. that morning He tried ringing the house landline phone again and this time one of Christine's best friends picked up Though she told Mark that they were a bit busy and that they would ring him back later The call itself was very short and it actually further irritated Mark as he just couldn't understand why Christine Wasn't picking up the phone herself at about 1140 a.m. Mark decided enough was enough So he rang up one of his longtime friends and asked him to go around to the family home Just to make sure everything was okay Mark's friend agreed to this and went straight to the Lundy household But before he could get close he was stopped by a police cordon which prevented him from going any further. At 11:52 a.m., this friend then phoned Mark back up and told him that something was wrong. Mark's friend had actually heard on the radio that the police were investigating a suspicious death And he relayed this message word-for-word back to Mark on the phone Mark, upon hearing and learning this information, decided to speed to his home in Palmerston North he had spent that morning visiting clients in Johnsonville, which was a further 11 kilometers on top of the 150 kilometers away from his home But once he realized that something was very, very wrong he raced back to the family home. At 11:59 a.m. Mark received a call from a client Who was looking to place an order for kitchen hardware from him though by this point Mark was speeding down the motorway Towards Palmerston North. Mark was very emotional on the phone to this client He was allegedly in tears crying and he told this client that he had been rung by a friend and that this friend had told him that something had happened to his wife and child. Note that in Mark's friend's phone call to him, he specifically stated that there was a singular suspicious death reported by the police. And then on this call to this client, this singular suspicious death became two. This is a piece of information that would be questioned. Heavily later in court. It wasn't until 1.15 p.m. that Mark arrived near to his family home Just an hour and 23 minutes after his phone call with his friends These key numbers the distance and the travel time actually play a very important role in the trial of this case Which is why I'm mentioning them and we'll also come back to this later on in the episodes Mark was actually stopped by the police cordon when he got close to his home And upon Mark revealing his identity to the police, he was immediately brought in for questioning by the authorities And importantly, his car was also seized But why was his car seized and what had happened to his family? To answer those questions, we need to rewind the clock to 9am on the 30th of August The same day Mark was brought in for questioning At 9am, Christine's brother dropped by the Lundy home You see, Christine's brother was actually self-employed And Christine, as she did with the kitchen hardware business she ran with her husband, did his accounts But when her brother dropped by the family home that morning, he would be confronted with a scene of horror Devastation and heartbreak. He stepped through the single sliding front door Which he had found to have been half opened when he arrived and called out to Christine, but he got no response It was then that he saw the body of seven-year-old Amber Lundy lying bloodied in the hallway He immediately phoned the emergency services from the Lundy family landmine and after being put through to the ambulance service he reported that and murder had taken place. Amber had been found face down in her nightdress, half in the hallway and half in the marital bedroom of the family home. When Christine's brother had rushed over to see if she was still alive, he saw his sister Christine lying on her back naked on the bed Both Amber and Christine had sustained serious head wounds At around the same time that Christine's brother reported the murders to the authorities, one of Christine's best friends poured into the driveway of the home Christine and her best friend had actually arranged to go on a walk that morning Which was something they actually did three days a week to try and keep fit and healthy And also as an excuse for a bit of a catch-up But as Christine's best friend walks through the front door of the Lundy family home Christine's brother shielded her from seeing the nightmare that was within the building He told her that both Christine and Amber had been murdered as this horrific conversation was taking place The house landline phone started to ring again, but nobody picked it up for obvious reasons. Not long after this, the ambulance followed by several police cars arrived at the scene of the crime and ultimately 33 police officers showed up to the Lundy family home. The investigators immediately took Christine's best friend and Christine's brother into the kitchen of the property to take their details and to get a written account of what had happened that morning. Midway through this questioning, the house landline rang again at about 9.20am that morning and on the other end of the phone was Christine's husband, Mark, who asked to speak to his wife But the police told Christine's best friend to say that they were busy and that they would call him back later The detectives discovered that a window in the conservatory at the rear of the house showed signs of having been forced open as one of the catches on the window was broken The witness accounts from Christine's brother of the front sliding door being found half open along with this forced open window initially led the investigators to believe that somebody had broken into the house A jewelry box in the marital bedroom was also found to have been missing Was this simply a burglary gone horribly wrong? As previously mentioned, Mark, when he got close to the family home, was brought in for questioning by the police, and his car was seized Three days after the authorities had seized Mark's vehicle on September the 3rd, the investigators found a woman's bracelet on the front seat in the car, which they suspected had come from the missing jewellery box Also in Mark's car, the authorities found a bag in the back seat which contained a polo shirt That Mark claimed to have been wearing the evening before This polo shirt had two visible stains on it One on the left breast pocket and the other on the left sleeve According to the official reports, the stain on the sleeve contained a lump of substance Despite this, the police had no concrete evidence that placed Mark at the scene of the crime And it would actually take six months from the day of the murders for the police to ultimately charge Mark with the double homicide But what did the police have against Mark? And what did the police theorize happened that night? Mark has last seen his wife and daughter in person on the morning of the 29th of August when Christine had left to take Amber to school. After which, Mark began to go visit clients and ultimately found himself in Petoni, where he checked in to the motel at around 5 pm. The police believes that after Mark had received the phone call from Christine and his daughter Amber at 5 30 pm while he was still in Petoni, he drove from Petoni back to Palmerston. North, which was a 150 kilometer trip at top speed through rush hour traffic. At 5.43pm, Christine purchased two large meals from the local McDonald's for herself and Amber A fillet of fish burger, two large fries, chicken nuggets, a chicken burger and two apple turnovers They got home at around 6pm and began to eat their McDonald's meals while sitting in front of the television Meanwhile, Mark was still allegedly rushing on the motorway to the family home, the police believing murder his wife and seven-year-old daughter. Once he arrived close to the family home, he parked about 500 meters away and finished his journey by running on foot. At 6.56 pm, Christine took a phone call from a member of the wine club that she was a part of. The phone call only lasted 17 seconds and the woman on the other end of the line would later tell the police that Christine was Unusually short-tempered with her on the phone. When Mark got to the house at about 7 p.m., with a tomahawk or axe in hand He entered the family home. Mark, who was allegedly wearing a disposable protective suit or coverall Then proceeded to the marital bedroom where Christine was sleeping And murdered her with the tomahawk An autopsy reveals that Christine had actually been struck 18 times by an axe or a tomahawk-like weapon The police then theorized that seven-year-old Amber had been woken up by her mother's screams And went to go see what was going on. That was when Amber saw her father Murdering her mother and Mark not wanting his daughter to later identify him as the murderer Then killed his daughter. Amber sustained seven deep wounds caused by the same weapon that had been used to kill Christine. The police then alleged that Mark took the jewellery box from Christine's dresser and broke the window in the conservatory in order to stage a break-in. Mark also allegedly manipulated the family's computer in order to make it seem as if Christine had been using it later that evening when he would have been back in Tony, he then cleaned himself up and raced back to the motel he had been staying at. At 8.13pm, phone records showed that Mark missed a call from a business partner. This business partner had started a wine making venture with Mark, and they had actually purchased a vineyard as part of this venture. Mark later told the police that he had missed this phone call as he had been on the toilet at the time, though he did phone his business partner back 15 minutes later at 8.28pm. The cell phone records also showed that he placed this call in the Petone area Which meant that he must have made the 150 kilometer journey from Palmerston North to Petone in less than an hour and a half Mark and his business partner had actually struggled to get investors on board for their new winemaking business venture and they had purchased the vineyards land with an Unconditional offer meaning that without investors they would go Bankrupt. The business partner was later tell the authorities that an angry creditor had shown up to his front door Threatening him and demanding his money back after that phone call ended mark told the police that he had stayed in his motel room Watching sky movies and drinking alcohol and at 11 26 pm Mark phoned an agency from his cell phone and booked an hour slot with a sex worker for 140 dollars The sex worker arrived at Mark's Motel at 11.45 p.m. After they had done the deed, for lack of a better phrase, at 32 minutes past midnight, The sex worker used Mark's cell phone to call her car driver to come pick her up. She left Mark's motel room at 12.37. Interestingly, Mark's cell phone was switched off after the sex worker had used it to call her car driver. He told the authorities in his statement that the sex worker must have shut it off after she had used it. Now, booking sex workers wasn't something new to Mark, and he had actually done this numerous times before. As his relationship with Christine had morphed more into a business partnership over the past few years, he had turned to sex workers to relieve his sexual desires. The official ruling for both Christine and Amber's time of death was 7pm and the method in which the Crown came to this conclusion is pretty controversial in this case. The Crown pathologist conducted the autopsy on both Christine and Amber, and in his official report, he described both their stomachs as being full. He said he found potato chips and something that was probably fish. Notably, the pathologist stated that no free fluid was present in the stomach, and that each of their stomachs contained a large meal, with no obvious signs of digestion, and no obvious smell of gastric juices. These findings led the Crown Pathologist to conclude that both Christine and Amber must have died about an hour after they had eaten the meal. Now, this conclusion was actually controversial as there was an empty Pepsi bottle found at the scene of the crime And upon consultation with pathology and digestion experts, it was determined that carbonated drinks such as Pepsi actually delayed the digestive process Other factors such as stress also play a major role in how quickly food is digested. This expanded the window of the murders up to about 10 hours after they'd eaten the meal. We'll come back to this finding in a little bit. The trial against Mark Lundy began on the 5th of February 2002. And boy, let me tell you that the trial and its evidence is pretty messy. The biggest factor that the court relied on and focused on in the trial was the three-hour window that Mark had to travel from Pistoni, the 150 kilometers, to the family home, commit the murders, clean up, and then return back to his motel. A 300 kilometer round trip, all during rush hour traffic, within three hours. Independent investigators actually attempted to make this journey within the same time frame, but actually they did it during light traffic, and they determined it to be next to impossible to do. Though, the judge at the trial ruled that due to the fact that Mark had made the journey from Johnsonville, which was 161 kilometres away from the family home, back to Palmerston North in an hour and 20 minutes, when he had allegedly found out about the murders from his friends, this meant that it was entirely possible for the trip to have been made in that time frame. A lot of people have a lot of conflicting stances on this. But it's important to note that this three-hour round trip relies on one sole conclusion That the murders had in fact taken place at 7pm Taking this aforementioned wider digestive time frame into account The murders could have occurred as late as 2am, early in the hours of the following morning and by this point Mark's cell phone had been switched off and he had no alibi from when the sex worker left at 12.45ish to around 8am the following morning This would give Mark ample time to travel to the family home, commit the murders and travel back again Further supporting this theory was the fact that Christine had been found in bed at 7pm and that Amber had been found in her nightdress at 7 p.m. Christine had also been found with her glasses placed neatly on the bedside table, and Christine relied heavily on her glasses to improve her vision. According to some sources, it was somewhat of a routine for Christine to read a book before bed, and a closed book with a bookmark was also found on the bedside table. This all indicates that both Christine and Amber had gone to bed that evening, at the regular time and that they might have been attacked not at 7pm, but instead in the middle of the night The evidence against Mark that states he manipulated the family computer to show a shut-off time of around 10.52pm could easily just be explained as Christine simply using the computer at that time and then shutting it off to go to bed But despite this, the Crown prosecution was set on the first theory that they had both been murdered at 7 p.m. There are a number of pieces of evidence entered into the discovery during this trial. Notably, the stains found on Mark's polo shirts that he'd been wearing the evening of the murders. These stains were actually analysed and described to be more dried blood flakes rather than direct blood stains. The matter found on the left sleeve was identified to be brain matter but the samples were so minuscule that it would be impossible to say for certain. Analysts also found sheep, cow and pig DNA in the brain sample too. And when the DNA of the brain sample was compared to Christine's DNA profile, it was actually a match. But again, the sample was so minuscule that it'd be impossible to say 100% for certain though it's still very damning and impossible to ignore The blood flakes that were found were identified to be Amber's blood Within this trial, the blood evidence was very damning against Mark. Though years later, experts going over the case agrees that the blood flakes could simply have been from a scab on Amber's ankle, a scab that was found during the autopsy. It would also later be argued that experts were unsure how exactly these traces of Amber's bloods. Got on Mark's polo shirt if going by the police's theory he had been wearing a disposable protective suit or coverall. Some people say that it might have simply transferred as he was getting changed back into his clothes or during his cleanup. Another piece of evidence that was of particular interest was the bracelet that was found in Mark's car which the police believed to have come from the stolen jewelry box. My personal opinion on this is that it wouldn't be out of the realm of the unordinary for a husband to have his wife's bracelet in his car After all, they were still on good terms and they still lived together Though, what's interesting about this bracelet is that when it was shown to family and friends of Christine they claims that the bracelet was simply too small to have been Christine's DNA testing was also conducted on the bracelet which revealed a DNA profile that wasn't consistent with either Christine's Marks or Ambers. We know that Mark also frequently booked sex workers So it could be suggested or theorized that the bracelet might belong to one of the sex workers he had hired though In court, this information was mostly overlooked. The primary piece of evidence against Mark was something we haven't yet touched on and it's something that can't easily be explained away or ignored. Tiny orange and light blue paint flakes were found in both Christine and Amber's wounds and hair. And interestingly, Mark actually painted all of the tools he owned with orange and light blue paints so he could identify them. That, in my view, is particularly damning In order for a third party to gain access to these tools They would need to break into the family sheds, Which was actually found to have been locked on the day of the murders And locks. Um on the day that the bodies were discovered they would have to have broken into this shed to steal the weapon Then use the weapon and lock the family shed back up The family shed showed no signs of forced entry and as mark kept all his tools in there The murderer must have had access to the shed and the likelihood that the murderer just so happened to have The same paintings on his tools to identify them is so minuscule in my opinion. And this brings us to one of the most important questions What exactly was the motive? Now I mentioned earlier that Mark had started a new vineyard business venture and was actually having some serious financial difficulties associated with it. Mark was in serious debt as a result of it But interestingly just a week or so before the murders took place Both Christine and Mark Lundy increased their life insurance policies from $200,000 to $500,000 According to some sources, this $500,000 payout would have been ample money to pay back the debts that Mark had This is the motive that the prosecution focused on Mark had killed his wife for the insurance payout and his daughter was collateral after she had seen him in the act. Though, what's interesting about this motive is that the paperwork for the increased life insurance policy hadn't yet gone through, so the payout would have still only been the initial $200,000. And Mark's business partner had also told Mark that he would cover the debt out of his own pocket so that they wouldn't have to go and get a loan from a bank or anything like that. Mark had also been initially offered a $1,000,000 increase in the life insurance policy by the insurance firm which he had actually turned down and had opted for the lesser $500,000 one. So either Mark Lundy was a seriously dumb criminal or this wasn't the true motive. But regardless, the jury found that Mark Lundy was guilty of the double homicide of his wife and daughter in March of 2002. He was sentenced to a 17-year minimum non-parole sentence for the double homicides Though neither Mark Lundy or the Crown Prosecution was satisfied with this sentencing Mark maintained his innocence and the Crown Prosecution was seeking a longer non-parole period of 23 years An appeal was then filed against the conviction which actually saw Mark's conviction upheld and the Crown's application for a sentencing increase accepted This meant that Mark's sentencing was now a 20-year non-parole prison sentence. A second appeal was then filed in 2013, in which Mark Lundy's defence team relied on the widely discussed by experts opinion that the original time of death, the 7pm, was incorrect. They also argued that the DNA evidence against Mark was unreliable and further casted doubt on the evidence that Mark had manipulated the family computer's clock. As a result of this appeal, a retrial was ordered. The retrial commenced on the 9th of February 2015 and ended on the 1st of April 2015. Even with the new information that Mark's defense team had uncovered, the jury upheld his sentencing and verdict. Mark then appealed this retrial, but it ultimately led to nowhere. Now, I just want to discuss some key points which, in my view, either prove that Mark Lundy is actually the dumbest murderer there is or that he might in fact be Innocence. These points were discussed in the North and South April 2020 edition, which I have linked to my sources down below Be sure to go check that edition out if you want more reading on this Though I must warn you that they do present a bias of innocence for Mark. As we discussed, Mark allegedly wore protective overalls when he had committed the double homicide He even wore shoe covers and had disposed of all this evidence after the horrific attacks But he still ended up getting his wife's brains and blood flakes from his daughter on his polo shirt And then he proceeded to tell the police that that specific polo shirt which had these stains on was the polo shirt that he was wearing the night before which condemned and damned him to any evidence that would be found on it He also stole this jewelry box from Christine's dresser in an attempt to stage the burglary But he left a bracelet that came from the jewellery box on the front seat of his car. It would have been very obvious that it was there, so really if he had been trying to cover his tracks then he is pretty dumb in that sense. Though the accounts and DNA evidence that the bracelet might not have even belonged to Christine and instead perhaps have belonged to a sex worker kind of explains this one The next idiotic move was using his own tool as a weapon that had identifiable marks on them, the paint fragments It was the paint fragments that despite everything else ultimately sealed Mark's fate in the trials And there is no reasonable explanation or justification for how they were present at the crime scene If he was trying to prove that he loved his family so much Why did he hire a sex worker as his alibi that evening instead of simply using his credit card Here at a local store in the area where there would have been CCTV Surely hiring a sex worker caused his relationship with his wife into question and obviously the increased insurance policy was not yet valid when the murders were committed. If he did murder his family for the reason of an insurance payout Then he is quite simply an idiot. Also, he turned down the larger one million dollar payout policy Perhaps he had been planning the attacks for a while and knew that the higher policy might have been deemed to be more suspicious. An interesting revelation came to light when a criminal who he had never met before confessed to the authorities that Mark had told this criminal in prison that he had committed the double homicide Though Mark still maintained his innocence during this entire time, so why would he be confessing to a criminal that he never met before? This case, as you can tell, really is all over the place But in my opinion I do believe that Mark Lundy, stupid as he may be, murdered his wife and daughter in cold blood I don't agree with the official police theory that he had done done it at 7pm during that three hour period But rather I'm more inclined to believe that he committed the murders at around 2am instead This would explain why Christine and Amber were in bed And it would give Mark ample time to travel to and from the family home and to clean up Now, there is some more interesting evidence that wasn't really brought up in the trial. Forensic analysts found 21 unidentified hairs in Christine's hand, 10 in her right and 11 in her left hand. These hairs proved that Christine had come face to face with her attacker and had fought back the best she could. What's interesting about these hairs is that it's unclear whether any DNA tests were conducted on them or if they're still even catalogued into evidence. There was next to no mention of these hairs in the trials, and I would have thought by testing the hair strands, the prosecution would have had the perfect, undeniable DNA evidence that the murderer was in fact Mark. Further to the hair strands, Unidentified DNA was discovered under both Christine's and Amber's fingernails. This DNA was tested and compared against Mark Lundy's DNA, which he had actually freely given to the police. And when the test results came back, it was revealed that The DNA didn't match. It wasn't Mark's DNA under their fingernails. The DNA was also run against the police database, but also hit no matches. So whose DNA was it? 50 fibres were also found under Christine's fingernails, which, when compared to Mark's entire wardrobe of clothing, didn't strike a match. Though I would suggest that perhaps these fibres could be fibres from the disposable coverall that he had been wearing during the murders. It's unclear whether these fibre strands were actually tested against the popular disposal uh, coverall brands at the time Other fibres were also found at the crime scene, but these were never tested for some reason Further to this, fingerprints and footprints were found at the crime scene Which didn't match Mark, Christine, Amber, Christine's brother or Christine's best friend So whose fingerprints and footprints were they? It seems to me like there was a degree of police incompetence at play here and by the police setting their eyes on Mark Lundy from the get-go they seemingly ignored other evidence at the crime scene. On top of all of this There was one eyewitness account, and this was discussed in the retrial of Mark. This eyewitness account actually came from a self-proclaimed psychic. The eyewitness testifies that she had seen somebody matching Mark's description running away from the crime scene at about 7.15pm on the day of the murders. She claimed that the man was about 130 kilograms, 6 foot 3, and was actually wearing a blonde curly wig. It is presumed that Mark had worn this wig in order to disguise himself Though it's important to note that this eyewitness claims that it was only after undergoing eye treatment after the murders That she saw these details clearly. I don't wish to discredit a witness and I'm by no means a scientist But I'm fairly sure that's not how memories work All of this leads me to ask two questions. Did Mark do it alone? And was he guilty? Again, I do personally believe that Mark was responsible for the double homicide But I'm interested in knowing what you think about this case I do think it's entirely possible that he didn't do this alone, which would explain the unidentified DNA and fingerprints at the crime scene But I also believe that this DNA should be retested using modern techniques and compared against Mark's DNA profile again to see if there's any matches there Let me know what you think of this case down in the comment section below. I'm looking forward to uh, reading your theories on this Um, Again, I do agree that Mark guilty in this case but there's a lot of strange factors um in my opinion and weird things that the police didn't investigate And that's really everything I have for you in today's case. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel and that you've hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that I post a brand new true crime episode. We're so close to 100K now on this channel, which is insane to me. So thank you all from the bottom of my heart. To spread the love, as I mentioned at the start of this video, please head over to LJ's channel and check out her true crime content there. Go subscribe and give her some love. I see a lot of potential in her. You can find links in the description and in the pinned comments Don't forget to follow me over on social media. My handle on both platforms twitter and instagram is at itsjoshuamiles There will actually be a new episode a uh, curious case episode coming out on friday And then another one coming out on sunday. So make sure you're on the lookout for those With all that being said i'll see you in the next case